I don't want to offend. What if they I'm scared to say what I feel. What's wrong and I go with see me? what they want to see. Everybody else seems fine. Just say it. This is Jen Slumack. You're listening to the podcast, Just Say It, a show that aims to highlight the commonplaces among us. As we amplify a variety of voices, conversations, and questions, we hope and move together toward Dr. King's beloved community. Thank you for tuning in. My guest is a woman from London, UK. Uh, she's a visual artist, she's a creative woman, and she has got one hell of a story that has brought her uh, to that place. I am so excited to have her introduce herself. I bring you Charlie Lewin. Hi, um, I'm Charlie from London. Um, I was raised in an ultra-Orthodox Jewish cult, and I escaped uh, two days before my wedding. Um, and that uh, brought a lot of uh, chaos and uh, upset a lot of people and um, changed my life, really. Yeah. What is, tell, for my audience, can you explain what an ultra-Orthodox cult is? What does that mean? There's lots of rules uh, based around a a religious uh, belief and... So in this case, the religion the religion is is Judaism, but it's a a breakaway from Judaism. It's it's the most extreme part that has broken away from mainstream Judaism, and they kind of fly under the radar a bit. Um, so they'll take all the practices of Judaism, and then just add whatever they want and add more rules and. And so what makes it a small community and what makes it a cult? Okay, so first of all, it's not small. Okay. Um, There's branches all over the world. In relation to the rest of the world, we're very small, but um, from where I come from in London, uh, we have a community of around 40,000, 50,000 people. And uh, we have branches in uh, Israel and America and Australia and around Europe as well. Uh, so it's not small. And uh, so, how does it distinguish from just a, a Jewish community to a cult? What makes it a cult? Okay, so the extra rules and the the insularity, um, you know, not allowing. Um, any outsiders in for me I mean we didn't have tv we didn't have internet uh, we weren't allowed to go to the library all our books were censored we didn't have any access to anything of what they called the outside world so it was very restricted uh, women had to just you know be raised to serve the husbands and have babies and uh, that was the whole role of the women. And we promised, like, uh, you know, a place in the world to come. And the next world was always... And then they used lots of um, threats. You know, you're going to go to hell. God's going to punish you. Um, it's one way or it's either you're in or you're out. If you want to explore outside, you're out for good and you can't go back. Um, and I think the isolation that 
it puts you in and the kind of beliefs that it forces you to believe that's what makes it a cult okay how old were you uh right before you got married how old were you that you were that you were sort of you know kept from the secular world i was 20 when i left so you didn't go to public schools you went to schools within the community yeah that's private yeah okay is there a leader so within the whole kind of umbrella of the cult there's different sects every sect has their leader so uh it originated from um all the little towns uh before the second world war uh in in poland and germany and russia austria um the the survivors came after the war and each little town had had their the rabbi leading the town so the surviving rabbis came to america came to australia after the war came to uk and started their little communities um so there's about 13 sects within the ultra orthodox judaism umbrella um so and each of them has their their own rabbi and um they're they're similar to each other they're not that different but still um so i was so i'm i'm a girl a woman and i was raised to be married that is the goal of the community is to marry is there an age for that it's usually around 18 okay it was it was kind of more learning about the rules of what we were not supposed to do and what our place was as women in the world so it was a lot of technical rules and uh, they had very thick rule book just of modesty rules and um from every, every single aspect of our lives was controlled um and we weren't allowed to question we we were told that the outside world was going to kill us and they were all anti-semitic and um they made us really scared of of um the out the outside world um yeah they they basically said you know we're, we're the chosen ones we're the only ones that are right everyone else is wrong uh, and that uh, i never liked that it didn't really sit well and even though i didn't have access to anything other than what i was told i still felt something was different i didn't have any vocabulary i didn't have any uh, knowledge of concepts or anything i just instinctly i guess knew something was wrong um and as and so we finished school at at 16 um we the girls learn english the boys only learn in Yiddish, uh, which is a Judaic language, a mix of German, Polish, and Russian. So after school, uh, we go to a religious seminary where they teach us how to serve our husbands and be good wives and really indoctrinate 
us, you know, and get us ready for marriage, basically. For two years, I attended the seminary. And um, when I came back, I started working in a nursery that was a different sect than mine and it was a more modern open sect and that caused a lot of controversy and I I bought myself a library card and I started going to the library I would replace the covers with like Jewish covers and then just sneak them in and I read late at night under my covers um, we didn't have internet, so reading was really, really an escape and an opportunity to learn, you know, what was on the other side. But uh, I had to be careful, right? Because if if uh, I, I, I couldn't be caught, I would get in trouble. What kind but, of trouble um, would that uh, elicit? I would, well, they would probably tell the rabbi and then the rabbi would make a decision whether I was allowed to stay in the community or not. So that was so it was a big secret. Also, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't get a a match. Um, everything uh, we did uh, as soon as we came back from seminary was judged on, you know, you, you can't do this because you won't get a good match or a good boy from a good family, and you know everything was like putting on appearances. So I had to be careful. And I imagine that whether you were pleased in that environment or not, the threat of being, uh, you know, kicked out is terrifying because you're you're not prepared. Yeah, that that's what I wanted to talk about afterwards. Coming out, um, having no skills, I was scared. I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know how to. I was I was very paranoid and distrusted like um it took me almost a year and a half to be able to hold a conversation with eye contact with a, a male can you go back to telling us how you left yeah so we're kept separate our entire lives like boys and girls hmm. kept separate and then i basically what happened was i was reading all these books and then i started started like showing signs of rebellion so my parents were like quick quick we need to marry her off right now so uh they sat me down and they said um i've got a boy for you and then i met him three times and within the week i was engaged and then during during the the we had like four months i think between the engagement period and when the wedding was supposed to be and in that time we have a crash course on sex ed because we don't learn it at school or at home and um, basically the the bridal teacher teaches the bride and the groom's teacher teaches him and um it, it's it's terrifying <laughs> um how so well she didn't she didn't say any of the vocabulary. Uh, she just spoke in like lo using lots of Hebrew and Yiddish words, very vaguely around the topic of sex. And she even to say she wouldn't say you're going to have sex with him. He, she just said he's going to lie on top of you. 
and and I had read from the library books I'd been reading about rape and crime and really awful books that were just making my mind explode and uh, I didn't understand romance or anything I just you know this is all like just put on me after like <laughs> after years of being like really naive and 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 not knowing anything um I, I, I freaked out and I was I was really depressed uh, and I as the wedding be, as the wedding came close I got more and more depressed and suicidal and came up to a point where I felt like I had no option and I planned to end my life um, I'd gone to I told someone at the school that I was working with that um, I really didn't want to get married and but I needed help and she took me to my rabbi and it was the first time I'd ever spoken to him um, and I said I don't want to get married and he said well you have to get married it's not a choice um, and the best thing that we can do for you is to push off the the consummation of the marriage until after the seven days of partying that we have. So we have the wedding night where you're supposed to consummate a marriage and then there's seven nights afterwards that you have, uh, people in the community make like different meals and celebrations. After that, I knew like he wasn't, no one was going to help me. I didn't see a way out and I couldn't go through with that, that marriage. So... It was, it was a Friday, I think, and the Tuesday I was supposed to get married. Usually the Jewish wedding, the civil marriage happens at the same time as the Jewish wedding. But uh, his mother had told us to get civilly married before, like a few months before. So technically by then I was already married. But uh, they don't really recognize legally. The, the, the most important thing is the, wed it is the Jewish wedding. The person that had previously taken me to the rabbi and she was one of my co-workers, really lovely lady, and she was like, well, uh, we're going away on holiday because it was, it was August. So we're going on away on holiday, so we can't attend your wedding, but would you like to come for uh, a Shabbat meal, which is like the Sabbath, a Friday night meal instead? I said, okay. And then I was like, do you have a spare bed? I went went back with her. I cried and cried and told her everything. And she explained to me that I did have a choice and that whatever choice I chose, then uh, she would support me. And if I chose not to go ahead with the wedding, then I could come with them on holiday to Spain. And uh, wow! And that's what I did. I, they booked me a ticket and two days before, so Sunday... I was uh, arrived in Spain, long skirt, tights, uh, covered neckline, long sleeves, sweating my eyes off, <laughs> um, and yeah, and people turned up at the hall, and nobody was there, and there was, I can imagine, like drama ensued. <laughs> I don't need to be the one who says how remarkably courageous that is what what a what an act of 
self-preservation. And I don't mean, when I say that, I'm not uh, judging the world that you grew up in. I don't know enough about it. I'm, I'm only learning what you're sharing with me. Um, and I know that there's, you know, there's a lot to each story. But if that's how you were feeling in that world, and if the fear was that, I mean, how many women do not leave brought into that life? And um, I don't, I don't want to cast judgment, um, but I just think that that's really courageous. I was so very lucky, though. You're 20 years old. You've gone to Spain in your very modest attire. So tell me about the first day or two. When I was in Spain? Oh, yeah, girl. Give me some, like, <laughs> I mean, you took, took her out of this ultra-Orthodox uh, London, UK town, and you placed her in Spain. I want to yeah. know. It was a culture shock. I'll bet. I tasted beer for the first time. It was absolutely disgusting. Beer or beef? No, beer. Beer. Uh-huh. <laughs> you accommodated beer yeah uh, okay and um i got another piercing i walked down the street with shorts on and i had short sleeves and it was ah oh, i don't know it was exhilarating and liberating but also i knew what i was running away from and what i had to go back to and I felt really, really, really guilty. Um, and so all those emotions and stuff were really messing with my head. But um, Spain was beautiful. And I just, I just wanted to live there forever. I didn't want to go back. Yeah. What kinds of things are likely happening uh, at the hall? And what kind of... <laughs> has anybody seen Charlie type activities start to take place to the best of your understanding when you're not there and you've just vanished? Hmm. Well, my uncle had flown in from America, my cousins from Israel, you know, my friends, like from all different places, people had spent money to be at my wedding. Um, I had my dress, was all ready. I had my wig, which I actually still have my wig with me now. <laughs> I kept the only thing I kept. Um, I'd love to hear about the wig and, and the purpose of the wig. Uh, when we're married, um, in some sex, they shave, uh, the woman shaves her head and they wear a wig. All, all Jewish women who are married and religious or orthodox, uh, they wear wigs. Is there a reason for that? There's a lot of reasons, but the ones that I know is that you're supposed to keep your hair for your husband, or uh, there's some biblical root where it says that uh, there was a woman who kept her, her hair covered and then she was blessed with like seven sons or something. I, I don't, I don't hmm. know. Part of the modesty, though? Yeah. Too much yeah. power in the femininity of the hair and such? Yes. One stray hair and take down a whole army of men. You know? <laughs> Look at her blowing in the wind. Okay. 
I mean, my mother told everyone that the wedding was postponed, not cancelled. And I suspect you've learned all of this after the fact. You didn't call and say, hey, I'm in Spain. Uh, So (laughs) sorry to miss the wedding. Did you have fun? (laughs) (laughs) Like when, what happened next in terms of what was the next connection? How much time passed? I had I had told my my parents I was leaving, so they knew and they couldn't stop me because I was already out the door. Hmm. But I did tell them that I'm not going through this. You, you know, you, you, I've screamed and cried, and you've you're not listened to me. So I don't know how else to make you listen. So you would let them know that you weren't coming, and they realized you weren't kidding when they showed up. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Yeah. Oh they my could God. not believe it. My sisters told me afterwards that they were just running around like headless chicken because they absolutely did not think that I would ever do. I didn't think I would ever do such a thing. Sure. I was, you know, I was so conditioned and controlled. I, was, I surprised myself. Sure. Um, that's a, that's quite a terror to, to be motivated to do something like that. Yeah. Okay. So did you stay in Spain for a long time? Uh, no, just a week. And then I came back and lived with that family. I actually went home to try and get my stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had these... Um, that had not- to go well. <laughs> 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 it was... <laughs> did you speak Spanish? A little something you picked up in Spain? Hola, mamacita, ¿cómo está usted? <laughs> No, that didn't happen. No, but I I had these uh, cornrows in my hair, and uh, my mother actually chased me out the house with a pair of scissors. Oh. So I didn't manage to get any stuff. And is she she an athletic mother? Does she get a... (laughs) I was faster. Yeah, well, there you go. Okay. I had one bag that I'd gone to Spain with and that's what I left with. And at this family, I uh, had a tiny, like, tiny bed with, like, the wall was literally next to my bed. And I had a pile of my clothes on the floor and that was that. Wow. Um, It was really awful, like, just the feelings that I had. And I was still depressed and suicidal, didn't just change overnight. Even though I'd gotten out of being married, I still had to um, face people. Right. So I I didn't even know what, I don't know, the depression lasted longer than than that. Now, did you know that you were depressed or is this something that in hindsight somebody diagnosed? When did you find out that, that you were experiencing depression? A few months after that, the woman that I was staying with, I don't know, I think she sent me to someone and then they said, I think you need to see a psychiatrist. Hmm. No, because we don't do doctors. We don't trust anybody. No doctors even? No. My mother's extra paranoid. I don't know. It's just a special mix of paranoia and distrust she she preferred homeopathic stuff and sure all the um, things that i just it never worked for me okay um you know if you pray hard enough god will save you so 
<laughs> don't need to do anything. <laughs> right? People have just completely uh, don't want to do Western medicine. So, so you went to a psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, How did she get you there? Did she drug you and put you in the car? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Okay, good. I really, I don't remember how it came to be. Uh, like a lot of that is, I still like just blocked out of my mind. A lot of that period just really I dark. Certainly appreciate that. Yeah. Um. So, oh, and I had. <sighs> when I was back in seminary when I was 16 um, my roommate had noticed I was depressed and I was as I, I was like uh, binging and purging and I had to, mm. I was yeah I was bulimic and I, I was really I wasn't sleeping at night and I was just yeah crying all the time so so she had uh, uh, persuaded me to go to the community doctor who is a Jewish doctor who mm -hmm. was his wife was our matron of the seminary is matron like the the one who looks after all the girls yeah like the okay. house mother got it I, I, yeah okay um so I went to to the the doctor and I just remember saying um I feel dizzy all the time. Hmm. So he's like, okay, here you go. Antidepressants, antipsychotics. I don't know what he prescribed me. Hmm. Um, and I wouldn't have known what it was anyway. And First of all, I want to thank you for sharing all that with us. It's really a whole different world than anything I've ever experienced in terms of, um, you know, I've, I've got my own experience with uh, struggling to find my place within the rules of religion. And it's a very different experience than what you've just shared with me. Um, the, the ideas, you know, I got a lot of ideas about uh, what was appropriate for me to be and not be. You just kind of intuitively know that something's wrong, something's off, something's not matching up. Uh, when we are forced into the boxes that we've created because we think that that's going to, you know, allow society to function properly, um, it can be a tremendous damage to the spirit of a child. And, um, and a lot of times, if we're able to survive that and gain some perspective on it and reframe it, we can become remarkable human beings, right, as you have. And I mentioned in the early parts of this that you are quite an artist. Can you tell us about how you found art? So um, we had art in school, but it was uh, censored and controlled. So the teacher would bring us uh, what she thought was appropriate for us, uh, stuff from the library or, I don't know, she photocopied the lab books, I'm assuming. And then we would base our drawings off that. But I think I was more drawn to art also because we were taught metaphorically. And if that makes any sense, so that our brains had to create and we were, we were led by imagery. 
you know, describing stuff that had happened and, you know, if you don't believe all that happened, then you have to, your mind has to like create it. Yeah. Right. So I was always creating and imagining. And, um, so I, 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 it wasn't going to be anything. It wouldn't have gone anywhere. It wouldn't have been a career. We, we didn't have the option of going to university. We didn't know what university was. Hmm. Um, so we, it was just considered a hobby. You know, and not uh, not very important, not as important as the Jewish subjects. And sure. Um, so, the first degree I did after I left was music. Um, and at the end of four years of music, I was getting bored, so <laughs> I started uh, developing my art. Um, okay. And now I'm almost finished um, a part time art degree. Um, but it's it's literally you know some some for some people books are an escape for some people you know I don't know music is an escape for me art was always something I could lose myself in. Tell me about the red box over people's heads. What is I, uh, it shows up in in quite a few uh, works that that you've created? Can you tell me about it? What does that mean? Um, I wrote a graphic novel really um, yeah wow it, it illustrated my story and um, can people purchase that i only have one copy but yeah i guess oh you're killing me that's amazing thank you i need a publisher um so i basically used the red box to kind of uh, represent the anger I felt and also that erasure of of, uh, of being a woman in that kind of society hmm. we don't have a voice we don't have opinions we're not allowed to think for ourselves and so I guess I use that as symbolism and also for women everywhere that are in like you know oppressive marginalized societies and it's not only my little, little corner of the world it's really powerful. It's a really powerful image, even more so now that you, you know, tell me that it's about the anger and the the quiet, right? The forced quiet. Yeah, you do really beautiful work. And the image that we have for you uh, is one of the images with yeah. women sitting with the red boxes over their heads. Um, just very, very powerful. It's called Good Girls. And it's yeah. oils on canvas. Um, Really amazing. There's another actually from a picture of my school class. It was based on a on a real photograph. So the one of the girls is me. But you put the red box. You didn't wear those. No. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. That's no. a photo. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I yeah. <laughs> There's an illustration in here too. Um, that is just stunning. There's two actually that really caught me. Oh, and the one where this, this ink drawing of this woman biting her hand. What? <laughs> you don't even remember. It's, it's incredible. It's really powerful. Um, here, I'll share my screen with you and show you your own art. <laughs> okay. Funny. It's a child. That yeah. one. 
Oh, the crying one. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. It yeah. just really kicked my butt <laughs> when I saw it. What does the art do for you? Do you feel like you process things? Uh, yeah. My therapy. Mm -hmm. Like some people talk, I draw. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry for the pain that has created such beautiful work, but I am thrilled with the work that it's created. It's just, it's just incredible. Thank you. Um, so who are you today? Mm. Who knows? Not a girl. Uh, I am an artist, I'm a survivor. I don't know. Still figuring stuff out. What do you do with your art? How do you share it? I mean, I have a website and I do social media. Um, and I do commissions for people. Really? Um, and how about gallery shows? Do you ever do gallery shows? Yeah, so I have done my last uh, big uh, kind of show was I sold a, a, a painting uh, at an auction in uh, Mayfair, in a gallery in Mayfair, which is a very posh place in London. Hmm. <laughs> so that was, yeah, and before COVID, I mean, I, I did, every year on my birthday, I did, um, I do an exhibition and I've done at university and I've done, put my paintings in, in a barber shop. Um, I've, I've put them on little cards and like handed them out, um, in coffee shops, um, just all, all different, different stuff. You know, I'm looking at your Instagram right now and I'm just, there's, I mean, you just, you see you're, you're an artist through and through because the way that you capture things and the way that you, you frame and crop things, it's just stunning. Um, everyone on here, every image on here is just, uh, it's just so powerful. And I like to look through people's Instagram, particularly artists, because it inspires me. Mm -hmm. um, but every one of these that I look at is just like, it just, everyone has impact. I mean, and then these photographs that you've taken, um, just, it's just stunning. It's stunning work. And I hope that you never stop creating. And I hope that the world gets a hold of you because, uh, you know, you motivate me to get back to my artwork. You know, you motivate me. This, this work motivates me to get back to the artist that is in me because it's yeah. so important. Oh my God, it's so important to explore and, and discover their art side because it's, it's very liberating. Some of these look like vector art. Have you taken illustrations and put them into Photoshop? No. What, what are you looking at? Um, let me find one. Wouldn't it be something if you actually just did that for real? It's not even Photoshop like this one here. Are you on Instagram? Yeah, Dreamland it's called. You just really painted that, didn't you? Dreamland. Here. I'll show you. This is so funny. For my audience, she doesn't remember half of the stuff I'm talking about. This one here. Oh, I, oh yeah. 
that's just that's painting huh yeah, it's digital painting yeah digital painting that's what i thought you draw with the stylus yeah i draw directly onto my ipad um i usually go well before covid i went to coffee shops and draw, drew people lots of people huh just beautiful work just beautiful this one these little faces oh they're killing me these little photographs of this is another one of the digital ones yeah it, but it's a photo, the digital ones i only do of photographs that i take it's beautiful thank you did you ever get in touch with this person to get in their gallery i don't think so not a goofball contact them they want you in their gallery i know silly paranoid so you know leftovers yeah well i think some of these could heal people so any last thoughts well when i tell my story to um, audiences outside of or people who have really never come across any uh ultra orthodox jews and or some people have never come across jews at all so um when i tell people i guess what i want them to know is to be kind and not to judge um and because of because we're deprived of so much uh learning and you know social skills and um awareness about our bodies and how to interact with people um we can come across as weird and awkward and um i just would uh, you know love people to to be patient and you know to ask and to listen mainly to listen because the people who leave often have have had to bury their voices and and so much pain inside for years and years and uh if you think you can't support someone you you can just by listening you don't have to do anything else and just be kind basically that's that's the the thing that i would leave with just be kind to everybody yeah how about that huh wouldn't that be something <laughs> yeah can i uh make you really uncomfortable and ask you to play a song for us maybe doorstep kid and i also wrote a song called rebel mhm mm which might be a bit more fun yeah lead us out with rebel what the heck <laughs> okay um rebel I'll play it with one hand Hold on. Can you hear me? Yep. When people say, what do you think about life in love and war? And terrible catastrophes you have never heard before. I tell them my opinion. And if they disagree, they can scream and shout until they're blue. It doesn't bother me. No, it doesn't bother me. When people say you're too young, you haven't lived that long. How can you claim that you know about life's bitter song? I tell them my opinion, and if they disagree, they can scream and shout until they blue. It doesn't bother me. No, it doesn't bother me. I'm a rebel. I'm a hater. I'm a psychological whore. And if you hurt me, if you argue, 
I will just ignore. So don't ask my opinion if you don't want to hear. And don't expect my sympathy for your ignorance and fear. I'm just telling you what I see inside your plastic heart. Your dignity, stupidity, total lack of humility. It sets us both apart. I'm a rebel. I'm a hater. I'm a psychological. If you hurt me, if you argue, I will just ignore. So wonderful, man. That was so much fun. Wow, what energy you have in that keyboard. So great. The composition was fun. Yeah, that's right. Don't mess with me. I'm a rebel. Get off me. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your story and your experience and, um, and your hope and your art. You know, we survive. We survive horrific things, and you have. And um, and my love to your family and my love to your community that you come from and the one that you're building your life into and around and the hope that you are uh, demonstrating and providing for your sister and anybody else who knows you got out. God bless you. Thank you. I'm a rebel. I'm a hater. I'm a psychological. If you hurt me, if you argue, I will just ignore This has been another episode of Just Say It. I am your host, Jen Slumack. I don't want to thank you for coming by. I encourage you to go to my website, www.soulnotskin.com. Tell your friends if you enjoyed the episode, and we'll see you next time.